Thank you, Brother Kevin. That was a blessing. I'll tell you what, you and I are blessed that we are able to come to a church whose music is still Christ-centered and Christ-honoring. You know, there's a lot of churches and a lot of people who pretend that their music is Christ-centered, but it's anything but Christ-honoring. So I'm thankful for our music here. I'd like you to take the Word of God with me, please, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. And once you find 1 Peter chapter 3, if you'll put a finger there and turn over to John chapter number 10, we'll read one verse in John 10, and then 1 Peter chapter 3 will be our text. Just a few moments ago, I did get a text from the pastor, and just to tell you, he said the family needs comfort because he's still here. So shame on you for texting in church. John chapter number 10. And we'll begin reading verse number 10, and then we'll move over to 1 Peter chapter number 3. John 10 and verse 10, the Bible says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do love you. Thank you again for the opportunity to be in thy house this morning. And Lord, I do pray that thy hand of blessing would be upon this message. I pray that thy Holy Spirit would speak through me. Lord, I ask that Thy Holy Spirit would go from pew to pew, person to person, and across the internet, the radio, and that I would, You would do a work in each and every heart, and I would ask it in Jesus' name, amen. According to John chapter 10 and verse 10, God has promised you and I the ability for each of us to live an abundant life. As we look at what the Bible says, we understand that Jesus said one of the very reasons that He came was that you and I would have life. He says, I have come. The purpose is that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That word abundant has the idea of overflowing, full and sufficient. Literally, God says, I have come that you might have a full, fulfilled, satisfied life. Now, this does not mean, and I don't want you to misunderstand and mistake what I'm saying, this is not teaching that you and I will abound materialistically. God's not saying that we will abound in human riches, but rather that you and I, as God's people, have the opportunity to abound in the grace and in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, in our service to God, in faith and joy and peace. We see that in our text this morning in 1 Peter chapter number 3, we're going to find an outline on how you and I can possess the quality of life that Jesus came to enable us to have. You know, it's wonderful that He came in order to give us this type of a life. But that begs the question, how do we attain it? How can we have the life that Jesus has promised to give us? We're going to find the outline to that in 1 Peter chapter number 3. We're going to figure out how our lives can be filled. Wouldn't you like to know that every day of your life can be overflowing? Wouldn't you like for every day of your life to be filled with the joy of the Lord? Now, I'm not saying that your life is going to be smooth sailing without any difficulties, any trials, and yet one of the blessings of being a child of God is no matter the circumstance, the difficulty, the trial, the, the, the thing that we may be going through, God's people can have a joy. God's people can have a peace in the midst of our trials. That's the life that God is expecting for His people to have. So how can we experience the wonderful life? Notice with me in 1 Peter chapter number 3, begin reading with me. In verse number 10, the Bible says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, 
and His ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. I find here in this passage, the Bible gives us an outline in and of itself on how you and I can love life and see good days. Sounds a lot like the abundant life that Christ wants us to have. He says here, number one, for you and I to love life and to see good days. In verse number 10, he says we should refrain our tongues from evil. Number one, this morning, in order to love life and see good days, the Bible teaches us that we must control our tongues. We must come to the place to where we learn to control our mouths and what we say and how we speak. The word refrain in verse number 10 means to hold back, to restrain, to keep from action. We are told to refrain or to hold back our tongues from evil. Now, you and I know very well how easily it is for our tongues to get us into major trouble with our God. We find ourselves so often having to ask forgiveness or seek forgiveness for things that we have said out of turn, things that we have said in our frustrations and our angers when we were in a moment where our minds were unguarded, we were unrestrained. God speaks in great detail in the book of James about the tongue being only a small member and yet boasteth great things. James says about the tongue that it is able to kindle a great fire to lead to a world of iniquity and defile a man. Now you stop and you pause for a moment and you think about the fact that our tongues, that small member of our body, the Bible says, has the power, the ability to lead to a world of iniquity and go as far as to defile you and I. We can be defiled in and of ourselves by having an unrestrained tongue. I want you to see this morning, there are so many evils that can be brought about with the tongue. I'll name some of them this morning we find that it can be used to blaspheme the Lord God. How many times we find ourselves blaspheming the name of Christ, even as His children, in times when we do not understand what God is doing in our lives. And we find that often. You see, God has a plan. God is a God of order. And He's always working. And we don't always understand why God does what He does. We don't understand why He allows things to happen in our world and in our lives and in our families. And yet we can rest assured that He always has a purpose in what He does. We don't have to understand the purpose. We know the character behind the God who is at work. He is a good God. And yet oftentimes in our lives, we do not understand what is going on. And it's frustrating not to know why God is allowing things to happen. And there may be times in your life and in my life, in our frustration, we lash out at our God, blaming Him or even accusing Him of not knowing what He's doing or that He is unjust in His actions. And in doing so, we have blasphemed our Lord. The tongue can be used to murmur and complain. Boy, we're good at that, aren't we? We enjoy murmuring and complaining. We enjoy taking the blame off of our own lack of spirituality and placing the blame on other things and other people. You know, when we look at God's track record with those who complain and those who murmur, if you go back to the Old Testament and you study the nation of Israel, you'll find that there were few things that kindled the anger of God against the nation of Israel as often as the murmurings and complainings of His people against God. 
or against God's chosen and ordained authority. How often do we read about the nation of Israel having the judgment of God upon them simply because they could not control their tongues? They would complain, they would murmur against what God has chosen to do and how He has chosen to work in their lives. And it's not only that, they would go as far as to rebel against God's ordained and God's chosen authority. How often did they murmur and complain against Moses and Aaron because Moses and Aaron were simply yielded to and following God and leading God's people to follow them as they followed Christ and God's people murmured and complained because it wasn't what they wanted, what they expected or what they thought was best. Their faith was in themselves, not in their God. And their tongues were used to murmur and complain. We find that our tongues can also be used to tear down. We heard in Sunday school this morning, and we know the Word of God teaches that you and I are commanded, not suggested, commanded to build one another up, to encourage one another. There has never been a greater time in all the world for God's people to encourage and to build one another up. And yet, we are far better at tearing down and belittling other people. How often we look at other people and we find fault and we find excuse to rail on their faults and their failures rather than owning up to our own. And our tongues have been used to tear down and belittle. That's the exact opposite of building up and encouraging that the Bible has commanded for us to do. We find the tongue can be used to spread discord, gossip, to spread discord, the idea of speaking lies, telling things that are not our business to people who have no business hearing. You know, as you look at sowing discord, this great sin, there are few things that have damaged the church, few things that have hindered the work of Almighty God like the uncontrolled tongue of His people. The uncontrolled tongue of the church member who would come to church and sit in the pew Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, being fed the Word of God and then going out and hindering the very work of God taking place where He is a member, all because of a small member and uncontrolled tongue. He says here, if we're going to love life, if we're going to see good days, if you're going to have that filled and abundant life that He came to give to us, He says, refrain your tongue from evil. But notice in verse 10, He goes on to say, and His lips, that they speak no guile. His lips, that they speak no guile. Guile has the idea behind it of exaggerating or stretching the truth, to embellish on the truth. The idea that you say, well, you know what? There is an element in truth of what I'm saying. There's truth behind the thing that I am saying, but it's not the whole truth and it's not the exact truth. We have stretched and we have exaggerated upon the truth. We're good at that. We're good at stretching out and embellishing upon what is true. You know, just because there's an element of truth in what we're saying does not make it right, does not make it pleasing to the Lord. He says our lips should not speak any guile. To speak no guile would mean to tell only and exactly that which is true. Could you imagine... If you and your home and your family, if we as a church, if we as God's people every day of our lives only spoke that which was exactly the truth, without embellishing, without exaggerating, without stretching, chances are we'd probably avoid a lot of trouble, wouldn't we? We'd avoid a lot of people calling us out for not speaking the entire truth as it is. 
If you'll look behind me in our baptistry, we have here at our church the saying, and it's in the Bible, speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth as it is to men as they are, not stretching, not adding to, but speaking the truth. He says, our lips, that they speak no guile. I wonder this morning, can you see, can you understand how an uncontrolled tongue can lead to sorrow and misery? How it can lead to the exact opposite of the good days and the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. Well, let's move forward. He says not only should we control our tongue, but secondly, he says here that we are to eschew evil. Verse 11, let him eschew evil. The word eschew means to flee from, to avoid, to remove your feet from the path of. God says in order to experience the abundant life, we must go beyond simply controlling our tongue, just one member of the body. We must move beyond that to removing our feet from the path of evil altogether. We move beyond controlling one member of our body to controlling our entire being. Eschew evil, remove your feet from the path of evil. When you look at sin and you study sin in the Word of God, you will find that sin begins in the heart. The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's a truth that what is on the inside will always and eventually manifest itself on the outside. You know, the Bible says in Jeremiah that our hearts are evil above all things and desperately wicked. There's not a single person in the auditorium this morning that can say, I have a righteous heart. I have a good heart. The Bible says our hearts are wicked. They're evil above all things. And we have a sin nature. I want you to understand that when you and I are tempted to do evil, when you and I are just going through life and the devil puts something flashy in front of our eyes and we know that it is against God, we know it's against God's Word, we know we should not, when we are confronted to do wrong, understand this, your heart desires to yield to that wrong. Your heart desires to go the way of the devil and to commit that evil. We have a sin nature that wars with our spirit. If you and I are saved, we have a battle going on. Our hearts are wicked. Our old man, our flesh yearns and desires to do wrong. And that is complete contrast to the Spirit of God inside of us. We cannot go through life casually and expect to stay clear of evil. Hey, you will never get up in the morning and go through life void of your devotions, void of time with God, void of yielding to the Holy Spirit, and just go through life casually in your own strength, in your own power, and expect to avoid the evils of this world. You cannot do it. It is impossible. When we look at the word askew, that very word carries with it the idea of a definite decision or action to avoid something. If you're going to eschew evil to remove your feet from the path, that has the idea of a decision and action. It must be done on purpose. That's why it's so very important to take heed to the warning in the book of Proverbs to keep or to guard our hearts with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life. Our heart gets us into trouble if we do not fill it with the right things. Your eyes and your ears will directly affect your heart. The things that you allow your eyes to see and the things you allow your ears to hear will directly affect what is in your heart. And again, what's on the inside will manifest itself on the outside. Now understand this, God already sees your heart. 
God searches out the heart. He sees the hidden things that nobody else sees. So from the very beginning, we are already in trouble with God. But all that we feed, our hearts, if we continuously feast upon the world and the things of this world, it's not going to be long before our outward countenance looks and acts like the world. Then we're not only in trouble with God, but with everyone else who knows us as professing Christians. We've hindered the Word of God. We've hindered the cause of Christ and the furtherance of the Gospel. But praise God, the opposite of that is true as well. If we would allow our eyes and our ears to be filled with the Word of God, with holy music that we have in our church, with service and preaching, and the things that the Bible says are lovely, then we'll have the glow of the Lord Jesus upon our countenance. There will be evidence that we have been in the presence of Almighty God. He says we must eschew evil. I wonder this morning, can you see how a lack of restraint towards sin can lead to the opposite of the abundant life filled with good days? It puts us at enmity with our God. And there is no peace, no joy outside of walking with the Lord. Well, notice number three. In verse number 11, not only should we control our tongues and eschew evil, he says two words, do good. I don't know that the Word of God can be any plainer or any more simplistic than this. He says, do good. Just do good as a child of God. I want you to see that doing good is not the absence of doing evil. It's not simply enough just to withhold yourself from committing evil acts. He says to do good, to take action. I believe with all my heart, some of the greatest sinners in all the world are apathetic people. Lazy, or as the Bible would say, a sluggard. Because James chapter 4 and verse 17 is still in the Bible. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You see, God says we're to do good. We're to be busy. The Bible says that you and I are Christ's workmanship, created in Him unto good works. We're to be busy serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the absence of evil. It is us getting up out of our pews, opening our Bibles, telling the world about Jesus Christ, living a holy, separated life, not just in word, but also in deed. We are to add to our faith works because the world is watching. The world is looking at our lives as an example to follow Jesus Christ. If they see hypocrisy in us, they're not going to listen when we try to open our Bible and teach them about the love of Jesus Christ. One may say, well, preacher, I'm not hurting anybody. Well, that's wonderful, but who are you helping? Who have you gone out of your way to encourage and strengthen and build up? You say, well, preacher, I'm not spreading discord through gossip. Well, that's wonderful, but who are you building up? Who are you encouraging? How have you gone out of your way? You say, well, I'm not causing any hurt to the church and to my God. Well, how are you serving your God? What are you doing for the cause of Christ? I want you to see there's a great promise in the Bible that directly deals with our doing good. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, you know the verse very well. The Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now, the majority of the preaching and the majority of the teaching that we find upon this verse carries with it a negative connotation. We often hear about the judgment that comes when we sow evil, and that is absolutely an accurate interpretation of this verse. 
when you and I sow evil and we sow things that are against the Bible, God's judgment will come every single time. We will reap what we sow. But there's another application. It's still true in the Bible that you and I, if we would sow bountifully, then we will reap also bountifully. The Bible says when you and I serve God and we do good and we keep others before ourselves as Jesus Christ always thought about others before He thought of Himself, then God says when we sow in that manner, we will reap in blessings. We will be rewarded. God will allow us to reap bountifully if we would sow bountifully. Friend, can you see how a lack of good deeds can lead to a lack of good days? The Bible says it's sin. He that knows to do good and does it not, the Bible says to him it is sin. You can't live in sin and expect to have good days. You can't live in sin and expect the abundant Christian life. Notice with me a fourth thing. In verse number 11, we are to eschew evil, to do good. And then he says here, let him seek peace and ensue it. The final point of this outline, and don't get excited, not the final point of the message, but of this outline in these verses, he says, we are to seek peace and to pursue it. Do you know this morning, you and I are not naturally peaceful people. We are not, in and of ourselves, a peaceful race. We thrive. We have a flesh. We have a sin nature that thrives on turmoil. We love and to see and to seek others who are riled up and stirred up. We love to watch people that are at odds with each other. We love to see the turmoil that goes on in and around us. It's no wonder that you see the, the news media that is filled with unsaved and unrestrained people only reporting the things of that nature. They only report the turmoil and the things that are bad and the things that will get the ratings up, the things that are going to cause discord and and people to be discouraged and upset. Why? That's what we thrive on. That's what our flesh yearns for and desires. And yet he says here to have the abundant life, we are to seek peace. We're to pursue after it. I want you to know the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 9, Jesus speaking says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. You know, our hearts and our minds and our flesh yearns for turmoil, and yet God says, Blessed are the peacemakers. You know, I find it interesting, the Bible says peacemakers, not the peacekeepers, but the peacemakers, those who would seek to make peace and pursue it where it is not found. You know, an example of this would be, uh, inside of the home, perhaps you would get in an argument in your home with either a parent or a spouse. And instead of fighting to see who's going to come out on top, instead of the teenager arguing with his parent to see that he's going to win the fight, or you arguing with your spouse to see who's going to come out on top, being the individual who will swallow his pride and seek after peace. Try to make peace in the situation. God says, that's the individual that I'm going to bless. Blessed are the peacemakers, pursuing it where it is not found. We see here a pattern, an example, four very simple things that we can follow that we may inherit, that we may attain the abundant Christian life. That we can have the good life and see good days and love our lives. And as I'm looking at these verses, I began to question, why these four? 
out of all the things that could be said about having an abundant life, why are these four things listed specifically? Are there not many more commands in the Bible? Are there not so much, so much more that could be said about living an abundant life in Christ? Why are these four the ones that are mentioned? And I believe I have the secret this morning. As I look at these four things, I find that they describe so well the Lord Jesus Christ. They describe Jesus so abundantly. And if you and I will follow this pattern with our lives, you'll find that you and I will become more like Jesus Christ. We will begin to walk as He walked. When He was upon the face of this earth, every one of these embodied the Lord Jesus Christ. He walked this way. He lived this way. Are you and I not called to be like Christ? Are we not called to follow in His steps? To do as Jesus did? Let me show you what I mean by this. We find, first of all, that Jesus had control over His tongue. Even in the greatest trial that any individual has ever endured, the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, He had complete control over His tongue. Isaiah 53 and verse 7 says, He was oppressed, He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so He openeth not His mouth. Listen to the language. Jesus was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. He was brought to those that would crucify His body, that would abuse and punish His body. He went to die. And yet, if ever there was a time that Jesus could have spoken out, it was when He was taking the punishment and the sin of the entire world upon Himself. Understand that there was not one second of this punishment that was for anything that He Himself deserved. It was all on our behalf. And yet, He had control. He restrained His tongue when He could have lashed out. And He went beyond simply controlling His tongue. The Bible says He went so far as to pray good on the behalf of those who worked evil upon His body. He cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even in the greatest moment of agony, His heart and His mind was others. Not self, but others. And He had full control over His tongue. Mankind did their best to break the human spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. But praise God, He was in complete control. And He has given us the example to follow that you and I should control our tongue. Notice with me also, He was tempted. The Bible says in Hebrews that our Lord was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Every trial you've ever faced, every temptation Satan has ever dangled in front of your face, God, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, faced the temptation. He went through it. He knows about it. He knows where you're at. He knows how it feels. And yet the Bible says that He was completely void of sin. He had removed Himself from the path of sin. He avoided it. Not one time did He ever sin in His life. You know what? He eschewed evil. And He gave us that path to follow. We see also that we could preach for years and years and years. Listen to me. And we could never exhaust all the good that He did and that He does in our lives. He is a good God And we are privileged to be His people. You could study and you could preach of the healings and the miracles and the encouragements and the shedding of His precious blood on our behalf. 
all for the people who not one of which was deserving or worthy of any good thing that He has done. Oh, He's a good God. And as we look and study Jesus, I want you to understand that not one time in the history of His existence, by the way, from everlasting to everlasting, He is God. He has always been. And for all of eternity past and for all of eternity future, we find that He has never and will never sit on the sidelines apathetic. He always did and does good. He's a God of action. He's always doing that which is lovely on our behalf. And as we look at this as well, we find that Jesus Christ is the great peacemaker. He is the one that can bring peace to turmoil. He's the one that can bring peace to a broken and an aching heart. I want you to know that the Bible says that Jesus reconciled us to God. The Bible teaches He is our reconciliation. What's important about that is that word reconciliation, it's so rich. The word reconciled means to make peace between two parties. And as I look at my life, understand that as a sinner, I could never be at peace with God the Father. In fact, the Bible says that I am His enemy in Romans 5.10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. The Bible says that without Christ, before we were saved, we were the enemies of God. There is absolutely no way that I as a sinner could be at peace with God the Father. I was an enemy. I was in opposition to the Father. But Jesus Christ, through His shed blood on the cross, providing salvation to me the moment that I repented of my sins and by faith accepted Him as my personal Savior, you know what He did? He made peace between me and the Father. Now, when the Lord... Jesus Christ has shed His blood. He imputed upon my account His blood, His righteousness. When God the Father looks at my life, He doesn't see my guilt and my shame. He doesn't see my guiltiness and my sin and my wickedness. He sees that precious blood. He sees the righteousness of His only begotten Son poured out upon my behalf. Jesus has made peace between God the Father and myself. And He's done that for you if you're a Christian this morning. Oh, Jesus walked this very pattern Himself. Notice with me in verse number 12, we see the result. In verse number 12, the Bible says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. The Bible teaches in verse number 12 that when you and I walk this pattern, when we control our tongue and eschew evil, when we do good and we seek peace in our lives, and we follow in the steps of Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches that the eyes of the Lord are upon us. Hey, praise God that Jesus' eyes are on you and on me. I'm so grateful, I'm so blessed, I'm so comforted in the fact that the God of the universe has His eyes fixed upon me. Oh, Satan seeks my life. The Bible says that Satan's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says that he seeks after the precious life. Oh, the devil's eyes are upon you and upon me. But understand this morning that there is one greater than Satan whose eyes are upon us. The God of the universe. I'm encouraged to know that I'll never go through any danger that God does not see. I'll never wander so far away that His eyes cannot find me. His ever watchful eyes 
know exactly what I need exactly when I need it. Giving me protection, power, provision when I need it. The Bible says as well that His ears are open to the prayers of the righteous. You know what that means? If we walk this pattern, that means that God in heaven has His ear bended down, listening, ready to hear the prayers of the righteous, ready to hear and answer and give us what we need when we need it. Oh, I'm thankful to know that we have a God who delights in answering our prayers. And if we'll walk in this pattern, His ear is bended down. And He's just waiting for us to get into the secret place and close the door and commune in prayer with Him. When we look at verse 12, it's no wonder. It's no wonder that living under these blessings, living under the fact that His eyes are on me and His ears are open to me, it's no wonder that these blessings will produce in your life and my life a spirit that loves to be alive. Uh, the spirit that will see good days, even when the world looks at our lives and say, there's no way He can have joy in this trial. Oh, we can have joy. It passes understanding. Why? Because we're living in the blessings of God. But notice the end of verse 12. He says here, But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Listen to me very closely, friend. When you and I get these things out of order, when we get our priorities out of order, when we stop walking the path that Jesus walked, the Bible says His face is, a, his face is against us. That ear that was once bended down, attentive to our prayers, the Bible says, is turned against us. Let me close with this. All these blessings that we've preached about this morning, I want you to understand something. There is a contingency to this promise in the Bible. There's a contingency to being able to have the abundant life in Christ. The only way that you and I will ever be able to follow this pattern is to have and to be yielded to the Holy Spirit of God. And by the way, the Holy Spirit of God only comes through salvation in Jesus Christ. If you're listening to my voice this morning and you've never come to the place where you recognize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, if you've never come to the place where you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life and save you, and that you have trusted in His death, burial, and resurrection, then you do not have the Holy Spirit of God and you will never be able to follow this pattern. The lost man will never be able to control his tongue. James says that our tongue is an unruly evil, listen to me, that no man can tame. You can't do it. Only the Holy Spirit of God can control our tongues as we yield to Him. The lost man will never be able to eschew evil. He's still bound in his sin. He hasn't experienced the freedom from his sin that Jesus Christ gives during salvation. The lost man will never be able to be and to do good in the sight of God. If you're lost, you will never do anything pleasing to God. The, the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please Him. You can't do it. And the lost man will never know peace without the Comforter. Jesus said, I'm going away, but when I go away, I will send to you the Comforter. Isn't that one of the greatest names of Almighty God in all the Bible? He's our Comforter. He is the one that can bring peace, but the lost person will never experience the peace of God. 
We have a pattern on how to live an abundant life in Christ, to love our lives and to see good days. But in order to have it, you must, you have to have, you need the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow for a word of prayer this morning.